All right, it's DT Systems, dog tested and dog tough. You know, we like that dog in them, baby. We've been using the H2O1820. Over the last several months, we've been playing with this unit. Our friends at Standing Stone Kennels, Ethan and Kat, they've been using it for years, and we've been playing with it. We really like it. I think for the dog trainer, the hunter, and the guy or gal who's training their dog to get ready for duck season, we'll really enjoy the 1820. Super reliable, super consistent, great unit for you and your dogs. H2O1820. Dog tested. Dog. Hashtag man's best kennel. It's Gunner Kennels, baby. It's a kit. We had Addison on the the podcast, a phenomenal dude, always innovating our industry. And one of the things that he brought up is it's a kit. It's not just the kennel itself. You've got the fan 2.0 for your summer, right? Like it's hot out. We got to keep that dog cool. In wintertime, you got the all weather kit. Keeps that poor body temperature in there so the dog doesn't have to work as hard to stay warm. They also have the magnetic door accessory that keeps that body temperature in there. And then the straps. Everybody thinks like, oh, I'll just go to Home Depot and get the cheapo straps. Well, listen, they developed these straps so that basically you can lift a VW bug with the two straps. So if you were to get in a car accident on the way to the duck blind or the training grounds, that dog is going to be beyond strapped and stay safe. Check it out. Gunner Kennels, baby. Slide into the DMs. We'll hook you up. It's force fetch, baby. It's the number one question we get asked. You don't know how to fix it? Let me help you. Let me get you to your goals. We built a course bunch of videos. I think there's 13 or 14 videos start to finish on how you and your dog can get through the force fetch process successfully. The link's in the description. Be sure to check it out and let me help you and your dog. Welcome Everybody, to episode, I think, 27. Jake Terry is with us. He is a phenomenal outdoor photographer. He is a waterfowl wizard and recently launched a sweet podcast called The Endless Migration. We're fired up. We got Kevin, Zach, and Memphis is sleeping right now. She's sleeping on the job. But Jake, welcome to the show, man. Thank you for joining us tonight. Hey guys. Hey man. Uh, appreciate you having me. Jake, Looking forward to it. Do me a favor. Tell everybody a little bit about yourself. Um, give us a little brief background, man. Yeah, man. Uh, <clears throat> so like you said, I'm, I'm Jake Terry. Uh, kind of been doing the whole freelance photography, videography thing for a while now, about a year. Uh, before that, previously I was a uh, marketing guy for Gunner Kennels uh, for a couple of years. And, and so obviously have been in the kind of in the dog industry and um tried to train my own dogs for a while um and then here recently met the met the guys at northwoods collective last year and and we kind of had the idea for endless migration and we launched that kind of a soft launch last fall as we started creating some films and things like that and we really hard launched everything in february and it's uh it's been going good the last couple of months and uh last few months i guess and got a lot coming down the pipe so um you know, I met you guys at um, at an event for Yukonuba. Uh, what was that? A month ago now? Two months ago? Um, so I'm like I said, ever since then, been been looking forward to coming on and talking to you guys. That's awesome. So I'm going to give a little bit of a background, real quick. 
If everybody remembers uh, a previous podcast, we had Nick Larson from the Project Upland podcast. And so Jake and all those guys at Project Upland and Northwoods Collective are kind of a smorgasbord of upland bird hunting, waterfowl hunting. They have a hardcover, or well, hardcover is the wrong word, but they've got a magazine now, awesome YouTube channel, and Jake is spearheading the Endless Migration. So, Jake, tell everybody a little bit about the Endless Migration <coughs> on social and podcasts, all that jazz. Yeah, man. So the guys, you know, obviously, um, you guys are big bird hunters and, and, you know, Project Upland has been, you know, kind of a well-oiled machine for, for a couple of years now, at least as far as just content and everything else that goes along with Upland bird hunting, just how to's, um, everything from a novice hunter all the way to more experienced guys like yourself. And so, you know, with, with that kind of model and, and everything that they do that from short films, uh, to a website that probably puts out more weekly content than anywhere, you know, anything else you can find in the Upland space, um, to obviously the podcast with Nick, um, all of that kind of put together has, has really made uh, a really cool platform. And, you know, we felt like <clears throat> I'd met those guys through my time at Gunner and obviously we wanted to be a part of what they were doing at, at Project Upland. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, so we had got to talking about it, <clears throat> excuse me. And they had, uh, you know, they, they basically wanted to do the same thing with waterfowl and to kind of stick to that, uh, stick to that, uh, business model so to speak like you know obviously there's there's a lot of good creatives out there in the waterfowl space that are doing um you know whether it be short films or photography or you know uh, different brands that are doing cool things but you know we, we felt like there wasn't anybody doing all the above you know you've got a lot of good uh, magazines a lot of good information out there like wildfowl magazine uh, i just had um um, just had Joe Genzel, uh from Wildfowl on my podcast, uh, I think two weeks ago or a week ago now. And so those guys are putting out great content, things like that. But when, when you really look at kind of the industry and, and look at, okay, a website where it's kind of a one-stop shop that if you're a high school guy that's trying to learn more, a college guy that's trying to learn more, get into waterfowl hunting, you know, or you're that, um, you know, that more experienced guy that, um, you know, he needs content also. Right. So <clears throat> the website, short films, a podcast, a strong social media presence, you know, kind of trying to be all the above. And, and obviously we've got a long way to go, but I think that I think there's enough, um, enough meat on the bone there that a lot of people are, are interested in it. So. Oh, I absolutely agree with you. I think if, if you provide good content, if you are a good person and you work really hard, I think no matter what you do, you'll succeed. And I think when you partner with somebody like Project Upland, who has such a special uh, like genre and storytelling ability and the f- cinematography and photography and the look and the feel and what they put out is so class that you know, endless migration is going to succeed if, I mean, it already has, but it's going to grow and grow and grow and more people are going to learn about it. More people are going to listen and watch the videos and follow along with stories of dogs and ducks and traveling the country. And I mean, all of us, anybody who duck hunts that, I mean, that's what we dream about. So you're going to tell that story, man. And, um, 
one thing I want to touch on is is 2019-2020. Tell us a little bit, little bit about your plans of travel and where you're going. Yeah. <clears throat> you know, um, and, and the other thing I'll say on endless migration, like I said, you know, we're we're out here to tell those stories and, um, you know, kind of their kind of our tagline. And that this goes for Project Upland also, but for endless migration are these are your stories. And, you know, we've got some cool films coming out later this fall. Um, we're going to have a, a film from Mississippi with Josh Raggio, a film from Arkansas with Brandon James. Uh, we've got a, an Oregon film um, and a couple more pieces coming out. So <clears throat> it's going to be going to be fun this fall. Um, but as far as uh, for this fall filming for next season um, and, and travel wise, I will be I think the you know season for me will probably start in November. I don't think I'm doing an early trip to North Dakota uh, like I did last year in October. That was fun, uh, but probably going to um, start off in November. Uh, in Tennessee, I've got a, a couple of Oklahoma weekends planned in November around the, the first couple of weeks of season there. Um, <clears throat> the weekend for World Goose uh, out there in Eastern Maryland. I'm gonna try to line up uh, some you know, some kind of a hunt out there. That'd be my first time on the East coast. Um, I know your, your buddies with Matt Peel and everything that Matt's got going on. Um, we're supposed to go out and shoot some content with him and, and, uh, get in a few days hunting with him. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, besides that, you know, I li- uh, so I live here in Nashville, so I hunt a lot here in Tennessee when I'm home. Um, you know, I wouldn't say it's the greatest hunting around here, but I'm originally from Arkansas. So I go back to Arkansas a lot. Um, you know, if the water and everything situations are right in the timber, we'll hunt over there a lot. Um, and then usually try to make a few trips to Kansas every year. Um, Kansas and Oklahoma, kind of that central flyway the last couple of years, we've just, man, that's, that's where our our best hunts of the year are coming from. That's really cool. So one thing I want to jump in on, and I'm going to tell Matt that at the eight minute mark of our podcast, (laughs) you, you need to make sure that his boat works before you go. (laughs) oh we had a ball we hunted kevin and i went down there this past winter he was really gracious enough he called it what was it gentleman's week and basically gentleman's week was eating good food drinking some beer you know we trained the dogs in the afternoon but the mornings were for the boys and we shot birds and had a great time but the first morning we went out ass crack of dawn he's got a a boatload of dogs i got a boatload of dogs we're airing we're grinding let's get out there we got to get out there we show up to the boat launch we get the boat in the water and it's like well what's our game plan so it was awesome though i mean he had uh do you know josh stoner I, I know of him, and I've talked to him a few times on social media, but I haven't got to meet him yet, I don't think. Yeah, well, if you go down there and, and hang out with Matt, you'll get to meet him. He's got a Southern Oak dog as well. Yeah. And, yeah. and um, dude, him and his buddies, they they help run a guide service. T- yeah, Talbot County Outfitters. And they kind of heard that we were down, and they hooked us up. Like It, it was going to probably be a bummer of a trip. And Matt was really stressing of showing Kevin and I a good time. And everybody down there pitched in to make sure everybody had a great time and a good hunt and good dog work. And, you know, I think if you go there, you're going to be in for a good time. 
No, let's put it that way. You and if you maybe we can pair up Gentleman's Week with you, buddy. We'll have a yeah, yeah. I'm down. All right, man. There's just man. You talk about that area, and, and obviously Matt's a Matt seems like a great dude. I'm I'm excited to meet him probably more than anything. But just that you know, just that area and and the history that's there, and it's just it's, it'll be a completely different style hunt than you know than what I'm used to. So really yeah. looking forward to that. Absolutely, it's. Uh... You know, for any waterfowl hunter, the Chesapeake Bay is that nostalgic, you know, place, the the Mecca. It's one of the Meccas of our country. You know, Arkansas right. would be one of them, um, and, and the Platte River would be one of them, and maybe Real Fort right. Lake would be one of them, and then you got Chesapeake Bay. And right. uh, nobody does it better than Matt, so I really think you'll have a good time, man. Yeah, and looking, looking forward to it. Um, speaking of those other places I mentioned, you know, I kind of want to digress a little bit and and get your opinion. So from what I understand, I haven't hunted Arkansas in probably three or four years. And and each year since I've been there, it seems like people are saying the numbers are down. The numbers are down and and Kansas and Oklahoma are, are starting to be the next hotbed. Uh, what are your thoughts on the migration patterns and bird numbers in Arkansas and those other states? Yeah, man. <clears throat> I mean, Kevin just goes, I'm sorry, Kevin just goes, is it really endless? <laughs> well, you know, yeah, there's, there's a lot to be said there and I, you know, I'm not an expert by any means, but you know, it seems to me like, um, you know, Arkansas is definitely, I think that any pretty much anybody that lives over there and hunts over there would agree that it's, you know, it's not like it was 10 years ago, uh, probably even seven or eight years ago, but for sure 10 or 12 years ago, um, you know, and it, it, you can still have great hunts. There's still birds that use, use the area. Obviously they're always going to kill a high number in Arkansas, but it doesn't, you know, it doesn't seem to be the Arkansas of old. And I don't know, you know, to me, to me, it's a, it's a, the whole thing's about pressure, right? You know, whenever you're, you're, you're beating ducks up on their food, um, you know, everybody talks about roost, roost, roost. Well, you know, a lot of these WMAs and everything else, you can't hunt afternoons, but you know, if you're just, you're just constantly beating them up day after day, they just, you know, they're not going to stick around, you know, they're just not, if they don't have places they can rest and places they can eat without, um, you know, without disturbance, I just, uh, you know, they're not, they're not going to hang around. It's just not, not like it used to be. I think the pressure to me is the biggest factor. Obviously we've got to have the cold weather to push them down. And, you know, they do have more refuges and more, more food up North. It seems like that, you know, it takes more to push birds down than it used to. And, and, and that's great and that's fine. And, and all of that, but, you know, you, you go to the central flyway or you go to some other places and it's like, those places didn't have that, those numbers of birds eight to 10 years ago. Um, and, and that's the, you know, the easiest way I can explain it for me personally and seeing, seeing the bird numbers and just seeing the, you know, flight after flight of birds in the sky on the horizon, you know, that's that, uh, central flyaway, central Kansas, central Oklahoma. Um, you know, it reminds me of what Arkansas was, you know, 12 years ago. Um, you know, uh, as far as more, you know, any more detailed than that, <clears throat> I'm probably, you know, probably shouldn't speak on it because I don't, you know, I'm not a definitely not an expert on it, but I know that, you know, obviously there's 
there's different crops and different things that that have changed over the years that have kind of changed some feeding patterns along with all that pressure and and so it's i think it's kind of the perfect storm as far as um you know there's multiple factors i don't think you can just say it's pressure uh, you know there's four or five different things that that play into it um you oh, know, and, and and obviously there's there's still a lot of people pounding them in Arkansas. It's just it's pretty tough on the public land uh, when there's that many people. And I think that, you know, a lot of us that grew up hunting that over there, you know, we're not, you know, we're not scared to go elbow to elbow and get there early and, and go an extra mile and all that kind of stuff. But it's just, you know, when there's 150, 175 boats at, you know, at a, at a ramp, it's pretty hard to find a place to hunt. Yeah. No, I. I... You know, I guess I never really thought of it from a pressure standpoint until you started talking about it. But when you are coined, you know, the, the capital in our country for duck hunting, you know, it, it gets every Tom, Dick, and Harry from all over the country to come and visit and, right. and shoot up your ducks. And the pressure makes a ton of sense. I wondered if old Al Gore was on to anything with, like, the global warming and different patterns of weather that we've been having and how that has affected mm-hmm. our crop production <clears throat> and, and therefore things are shifting to a different state. It might only be a hundred miles or 200 miles or 500 miles one way east or west. But if, if the climate and the crops are, are not able to, I mean, sustain ducks and keep ducks moving and and feeling comfortable in the winter time you know right they they may just shift right so you know that, that's definitely definitely a big part of it like i said there's you know everyone down here wants to complain about you know refuges and flooded corn and you know whatever it may be north of us that hold more birds than you know than they used to 10 or 15 years ago and, and there's definitely some of that that's true. I mean, you know, it maybe I was just ignorant to the fact of that when I was younger, but it seems like, you know, obviously Missouri just is a killer state for for mallards and, and a lot of, you know, a lot of ducks, you know, make it to Missouri and seem like they never make it south of there. There's just, you know, uh, I've personally been up to central Missouri, uh, Missouri where I used to hunt some public land up there and seen you know, seeing a hundred thousand mallards, uh, when it's, you know, zero degrees and everything is frozen and even the refuges that they sit on are frozen. And I've just seen them swarm, you know, these little creeks that are, let's say it's twice as, twice as wide as your truck, you know, and it's not very deep, but it's a flowing Creek and they'll just, they're just hanging out there and then they're, they're feeding in dry fields. And, and if zero degree weather and, and some, you know, a little bit of snow and stuff like that, if that's, you know, that doesn't push them south, you know, uh, what does, well, it takes, it takes just a lot of snowfall. And if, and if that snow and ice don't cover the food, then, you know, they're not going to come south. And I've, like I said, I've, you know, witnessing it, seeing all those birds, you know, roosting and resting on those creeks that, that are the only flowing water anywhere around and every solid body of water within miles is frozen rock solid. And they're just feeding in dry fields and then flying back and forth to that moving water Creek, it's just, you know, it's like you can't, you know, you just can't push them any farther south without without the snowfall and completely covering that food. And and like you you were getting at, it just doesn't seem like we've gotten that snowfall 
you know, the last four or five years, if, if not more, we, you know, it's been either right after season or things like that. It's just historically, it's not, not quite the same. Well, yeah, I was just going to say too, like, I feel like historically the snow was coming earlier and, you know, for us here in New York, I remember being a kid and wearing a snowsuit going Halloween trick or treating. Now right. it's like you're still in jeans and a flannel and kids are running around in their normal, you know, trick-or-treating suits so we're not getting that cold early snow and weather that would be pushing them south of us here in new york so i mean it it just seems like the winter quote-unquote winter is coming later um you know february when we're all done hunting basically right so it's interesting It, it you know and i think that we're all as waterfowl hunters gonna we're going to adapt so if it's not arkansas this year it's going to be kansas and oklahoma or nebraska is going to be the next big state or you know i think unfortunately i have never hunted the the dakotas yet that's a bucket list place to go but in five years by the time maybe i can get there it may not be the hotbed anymore it might be montana right Right. montana's a I haven't been to Montana. That's on my, you know, on my, my short list for sure. Um, man, they shoot a lot of, shoot a lot of birds in Montana. I've been in North Dakota quite a bit. Um, you know, and it's, it's, it's pretty phenomenal when you're, when you're timed right and they're, you know, they're coming out of, coming out of Canada, right. And, uh, you know, but, but like I said, it's, you know, everything changes. And, and like I said, the weather patterns and all that kind of stuff, it would be interesting to have a conversation that, um, you know, from, with someone that is probably talks way over my head and makes a lot more money than I do. Um, but you know, that'd be an interesting conversation to have. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it would all, this is Kevin, by the way, and it would also be really interesting to see if any of the, um, the hunting seasons shift at all too, to kind of accommodate with the change in weather and change in flight patterns and all that stuff. But who knows? Um, but Jake, I've been interested. You so you mentioned you've been to the Dakotas a couple times. Do you ever take your yeah. dog hunting up there when you get to travel around a decent amount? But do you get to take your dog with you? Yeah. So last year, um, last year I went up with uh, Barton Ramsey and uh, Southern Oak and uh, you know a whole crew of guys. And so I actually, uh, my two younger pups actually rode on you know rode in his trailer and they went along for the ride. Obviously, didn't hunt my dogs when we were there. They were just pups, but and we had his dogs to hunt so i didn't i didn't have any other personal dogs but previous to last year um i've been a few times and you know i've always been like in the devil's lake area or you know the more uh almost like touristy the the places that everybody knows about you know as an arkansas guy trying to trying to drive up there and and go hunting and and yeah back in those days was always taking my personal dog um which is the, the older male that i have right now that um He's getting close to nine years old. Um, so I would say probably when he was three, four, five, six, uh, that age, that age frame, we were, we were going up there and hunting that devil's lake area. And, um, it's awesome to be able to, you know, have a dog that you trust. And, and obviously you guys, you guys know what I'm talking about, but have a dog that travels with you that you kind of trust in any situation and like yeah you know we're going to go to this duck camp and there's going to be 20 guys there and 10 other dogs and we're going to hunt flooded timber we're going to hunt flooded corn or we're going to hunt dry fields and you know you've kind of got that that seasoned veteran dog right that's kind of 
kind of ready for any situation. And um, it was, so it was fun taking him up to North Dakota. I will say that it, you know, for me, not hunting, you know, never hunting, hunting any coastal water. I'm sure you guys are, are more used to it, but the biggest, wa- some of the biggest water and nastiest water that I've ever seen are some of those giant potholes in North Dakota. You know, everybody says po- prairie pothole region and, and until you get up there and actually hunt one of those potholes. I mean, it's, uh, you know, looks like a lake. Uh, and, and it's always windy up there. So you can imagine that that water gets pretty rough and, you know, it doesn't take very long for a dog to be chasing a cripple out and, you know, he's barely a speck and, you know, with the wind and everything else it you know, it can get a little as a, as a gun dog owner, it can get a little, um, get a little nervy you know what i mean uh to have a dog chasing a cripple way out there and you can barely see him and you got white caps and everything else and i said that's for me that for me that's probably the closest that i've seen to any you know as far as like you know sea duck hunting or anything like that sure yeah so that's definitely you know something we're used to and and our dogs get used to but if they haven't been in that situation it's totally different now, one yeah. thing, if you uh, so, I'm going to digress a few different ways because I got a couple of things that popped in my head on that discussion. Yeah. If you do go down to Matt Peel's and they tell you don't let your dog drink the salt water, don't let the dog drink the salt water. Memphis had the explosive bubble guts. <laughs> really? And I'm like, oh no, guys, she'll I be all right. About that. Oh, yeah. she'll be all right, guys. You know, she's she's an adult. She can do it. You know, she'll figure it out. Yep. No, she. She, oh my God, it was as bad as you can envision. That's how bad it was. <laughs> and, uh, and by drinking the salt water, do you mean, uh, obviously just don't let your dog get thirsty and run up to the water and start drinking. Or do you mean just, just by intaking water on retrieves? I'm going to go with just taking in water on retrieves. I yeah, bet your dog okay. will get the runs if they're not used to it. Um, but what, right. yeah, basically what would happen is she would, she would be thirsty and so she'd take a couple gulps, and I and they right. were like, "Bob, you shouldn't let her do it." I'm like, "Dude, it, she took three sips. Like, she'll be okay." And then, you know, an hour later, she takes three sips, and then she retrieves a bird, and you know she's ingesting some when she's doing that. And then, right. you know, over the course of a four hour hunt, you know, she's probably had a gallon of water or so in her belly. Right. And I'm telling you, whoo, baby. <laughs> <laughs> and and but, we kid around you know uh jared from best gun dogs who was at Yukonuba. yeah he yeah, and I, yeah. he and i tease each other like oh you so you want to be a dog trainer <laughs> imagine waking up at like three thirty in the morning to air dogs to go duck hunting and she's in her dog kennel and it oh, is oh yeah head it to is, toe it is uh uh salvador dolly that painter is like he <laughs> yeah. had a paintbrush just all over yeah dude so yeah i mean really be careful about that his dogs i think dogs who kind of get used to it and have had it and and drank it and whatever they're around Mm -hmm. it more often his dogs never had a problem so just be weary i still would do it truthfully like it's just diarrhea you know but i think you know if she did it for a week or two she'd be used to it um but just yeah take fresh water to try and get your dog like super not thirsty and 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 then hopefully they don't ingest enough during their retrieves but to you know again to digress a little further i want to learn more about your dogs i want to learn 
you know, you've been doing this your whole life, basically in Arkansas, growing up doing this. What was your first experience hunting over a dog? Tell us that story. Oh, wow. Uh, so my first experience hunting over a dog that, uh, you know, probably really just kind of got me interested in it was the high school buddy, um, the high school buddy that took me duck hunting for the first time, uh, which is, is also a very funny story. Uh, but the high school buddy that took me duck hunting for the first time had just a huge, probably a, and it may not be as big as I'm remembering, but I want to remember like a, a big 90 pound blockhead black lab named Buster. And, uh, you know, for a long time there, three or four years through high school, like that was the only dog that we hunted with until I think, I think it was my senior year when I got my first lab, um, you know, and, and I had that dog a couple of years and got the, you know, the male that I got, got right after college now, and I've had him since, but I've had a, a couple more throughout, you know, I had his mom and, and some other dogs throughout the way, but the big, the, you know, that big dog buster was just a, you know, he was just a meat dog at the time. But, you know, looking back, it's like, you know, when you're in high school and you're going out before school and everything else is sitting in the blind, you're shooting ducks over the decoys. And like I said, that was, you know, that was 99, 2000 when, you know, we could go out and shoot two or three limits before school, literally almost every morning and still be at school on time. You know, there was just ducks everywhere. And, you know, just to have a dog that, Hey, I don't have to get up off this bucket and, and go, you know, go walk out there and grab the duck. Like Buster's going to go get them. Like that's all we wanted at that time. Right. But it kind of, it kind of instilled just that relationship and just seeing a dog work and that, that kind of thing, which led to, you know, my, my personality and kind of my history is like when I want to do something, I kind of dive, you know, dive head into it and, and learn everything I can about it and research it and all that type of stuff. I'm, I'm one of those type people. And so, I think, you know, in high school, that kind of, um, you know, I started following along with like Chris Aiken and those guys and, and just really reading, you know, at that time he had that dog boomer, um, which I now have a granddaughter out of. Um, and I knew from probably the time that I was a senior in high school, like one of these days when I can afford, I have a big boy job and I can afford it. I'm going to have a dog out of boomer. Right. Like that was the goal. Um, you know, and it didn't happen until years later when I couldn't even get a, you know, a dog out of Boomer. I had to get a grand, a grand dog out of Boomer, you know, but even, even those first early experiences kind of, kind of laid the seed. Right. And then, and then, uh, you know, you start getting older and hunting with better and better dogs and start training dogs for yourself and, and try to get those dogs to, you know, first, first you turn a meat dog and then you try to get those, you know, the next dog to a little higher level and the next dog to a little higher level and, um, you know, and then I've been fortunate enough, you know, now and, and in kind of this industry to be able to hunt with a lot of trainers and a lot of, a lot of, you know, professional guys like yourself, um, I would say the last five or six seasons. And so, you know, to really see some of these dogs work that I've gotten to see is, is pretty, pretty amazing. That's cool. So I, I followed along with Chris. How, how old are you? 30 i just turned 33 all right so i'm 32 and a half so we're about the same age <laughs> so i remember high school, gra- graduated high school would have been it would have been oh uh, four i guess all right so i was oh five so growing up in high school we had ducks unlimited's water dog tv yeah yep. 
So that's Shannon yep. Nardi who runs yep. the SRS. She was the yep. producer of that. And that's where I was introduced to Chris Aiken and Justin Tackett and Pitt Boss and all those yep. guys were legends to me, right? And we were watching yep. or I'm assuming that we're talking the same language because you you are like we oh, watched yeah. the SRS on ESPN. I just, just had this. I just had this conversation with Chris about the year he won that the Great Outdoor Games or won that first that first event on ESPN with Boomer was 2002, I yeah. believe. Yeah, yeah, and I and Stacy West and all those guys like they paved the way. I knew those dogs as if they were professional athletes, and you know, it was something that really instilled what I you know the lone ducks unspoken bond that that coined term that I came up with years ago and it's like I want I didn't even have a dog yet that hunted and I wanted one like Yella and Boomer and and the storytelling ability of Shannon and those people on those shows were it was incredible and Boomer was he was the man like beautiful good looking stout athletic picked up thousands of ducks and Chris's ability to play all the games with him made him such a versatile Labrador retriever that, you know, I mean, like you said, all you wanted was a dog out of that, out of him. And I still hear people say boomer and that dog's God, 20, 15 years ago, 18 years ago. I mean, it's crazy that he was able to and Shannon was able to tell a story enough that you and I are sitting on a podcast which weren't even invented yet back then and we're talking about that dog yep you know it's like people talking about Michael Jordan really like Michael Jordan hasn't been relevant in 15 years (laughs) yeah he's got a he you know it's serious like for our industry those were the dogs and and who's going to be the next dog right like all right that's a right. that's a question for you in in the dog world you know who's going to be that next dog do you think that people are going to look back and be like man I want a dog out of him someday right i don't think anybody tells a story like Shannon Nardi does anymore yeah i think maybe yeah, I, mean, I mean i think Barton does a good job creating personas around his dogs and like red. I think, you know, not to pat myself on the back, but old Memphis laying on the ground right here, you know, we try and create that persona for people. So they feel like they know Memph and they've hunted alongside her and seen her grow and develop. And, you know, I, I, I hope that people think fondly of her and want a dog like her. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think as whether it's, uh, you know, whether it's professional trainers or just avid gun dog owners like like myself, I guess, um, you know, I think there's always one or two dogs that you can kind of relate to. And whether that's, you know, for you, it's Memphis, like, you know, kind of the dog that made you who you were. Right. Like maybe it was it was Boomer 20 years ago, just kind of starting to plant that seed. But we've all got that we've all got that dog and that's what's, you know, that's what's so great about it. And and that's, what's so great about, you know, it all came full circle. And to think about that stuff that we were, you and I were watching in high school kind of, you know, helped us get where we, where we are today. Right. I mean, it's, you know, would have never, you know, waterfowl hunting was fun, but it wasn't, 
it was just, you know, for me until the dogs played a big role in it, um, you know, to like, after, you know, probably after college and during, during college, after college, when I first started really trying to train my own dogs and really kind of just living uh, for hunting season for that dog. Like before then it was just like, Hey, waterfowl hunting's fun, but it's, you know, it's probably something I'm going to do in between deer season, you know, or something like that. And it's like, once you start, um, relating to those dogs and getting those dogs to be a part of it, it's like, you know, Hey, if I could go on one hunt tomorrow and, and, you know, most likely that's going to be wherever I can take that dog. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. You don't, you necessarily would rather sleep in if you couldn't take your own dog. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. No question of, you know, it's, it's, you know, now that I'm in this industry and in these circles and I get to hunt with a lot of guys, like obviously there's places that I go and travel to that I can't take my dogs. Um, But with that being said, like if I've got my choice and it's just, you know, I'm hunting, it's regular buddy hunts and things like that. Like I'm going where I can take my dog. Like, you know, and if I can't take my dog, then if it's not work, you know, I'm probably not going. Right. So tell me about your, your nine-year-old dog. So he is, I guess the, so he was the first dog that I ever, you know, kind of completely finished myself. Um, you know, got him, I guess, right there at the end or right after college. Um, and he's just, a, you know, he's just a, a very good meat dog, uh, a little bit past that, I guess. Um, kind What's of been my buddy through, his name's Hank. Nice. Yeah. And he is just a man to me, uh, to me to this day, like he's still one of the best looking, um, you know, he's not quite as muscly as he used to be, obviously, but when that dude was, you know, three, four years old. I mean, he was just a specimen. And to me, to this day, like his head and his look, like that's what I, you know, even though he's not, you know, he's not, you know, if I bought a new dog tomorrow, right. It's not going to be, it's probably not going to be one of his puppies, right. It's going to, you know, or it's, it's going to be one of these dogs that we know that's in the industry. That's a, you know, a master hunter, a a, a grand champion, a, a whatever it may be, but like, he's got that look that I've always loved. And I don't know if I loved it because of him or if I loved it before him or, or what, but, um, he's just a, uh, just a really good meat dog that's out of actually my now brother-in-law had an older dog that, you know, kind of for our small area in, in the River Valley of Arkansas growing up as a, you know, early 20s. He's, you know, it's one of those things like, hey, Kyle's dog is, is probably one of the best male dogs around here that I know at this time. You know, he's not a pro trainer and the dog doesn't have a bunch of titles, but just as far as a waterfowl dog, this is one of the, you know, this is one of the best dogs in the area. And we hunted with the dog every day. And it's like, man, I want a pup out of that dog. Um, and I had a little finished, uh, a little finished level female at the time that I'd bought from that bought as a started dog from another trainer. And she just had, she was real quirky. Uh, she was really small. Uh, she was just full of fire. Um, but she had a little, a couple little quirks and she got cold easy and she was, you know, she wasn't the best hunting dog. Uh, she could impress you in the, uh, in the field and in training and in, in a, in a trial and, and everything else. But like hunting, she just wasn't quite what I wanted. Right. So, but I always said, I want a male out of her. And so 
so I ended up, we, we bred those dogs and I, you know, we got a litter and, and, uh, I kept, kept the mail we wanted and we sold most of the rest just to buddies and people that had knew that Kyle's dog was kind of the best in the area type thing. Right. And that's before, you know, obviously now knowing what we all know, that's, you know, that's, that's kind of your, I guess what would be called kind of your backyard breeding now these days, you know, and back, back then we were just going by who had the best dog, dog that, you know, right. Sure. Oh, okay. I want a dog. I want a dog out of that dog, <laughs> you know? And so that's how he came to be. And, uh, man, he's just, he's been with me through a bunch of stuff. He's been with me through, you know, um, through girlfriends. Now my wife, uh, through, man, I don't even know how many houses we've lived in, uh, you know, at least, three if not four different different houses i guess or moves and career changes um you know it's just kind of been along been along for the ride uh just you know he's, he's just been there for everything man it's just it's just kind of his his persona and he uh to this day like if i let him here in the office right now like he would just he would just be basically bouncing up and down i mean he he's always been one of those dogs that's like he's not like what i tell everybody is he's not a pet He's a, he's a gun dog. And if you want to let it, you know, if you want a pet, he's, he's not a pet. Like he'll annoy the absolute piss out of you because he has no off switch. You know, everybody wants to say that, you know, American dogs, this British dogs, this, you know, when it boils down to it, we, we probably both know that there's, there's high strung dogs, uh, in both of those areas. And there's, you know, I've seen a lot of good high strung American dogs that, that have a pretty good off switch that are, that are house dogs and sleep in the bed and all that kind of stuff. I mean, you know, just got back from Chris's last week and, uh, you know, he, same thing. He's got Finn now. Finn's a seven year old, uh, you know, uh, master hunter, grand hunting retriever champion. Just, uh, I think he's even got more titles than that. Uh, but Finn sleeps in the bed every night, right? He's got a, he's got a good off switch. Um, Hank my dog does not have an off switch even to this day. He, he just now the last two seasons, if we hunt hard, he will come home and he'll kind of lay in front of the fireplace and he, he may be out for, you know, the rest of the day. Right. But other than that, if I, you know, he's got, he's got no off switch. If, if I brought him right in right now and, and told him to place and put him on his place board and said, you're going to hang out in here in the office with me, that'd be fine. But, four hours later you look up and he's still sitting on place, but he's staring at you just ready to freaking <laughs> jump at any time. <laughs> I love it. Dude. I love yeah. it. At nine years old, he still has the yeah. grit and desire and work ethic and love. What is your most yeah. memorable retrieve from Hank? Oh, um, there's a bunch, but one of them would probably be, um, and like I said, this was, uh, you know, uh, my, in my young and, and dumb years, probably, you know, I think we all kind of every dog and every dog we train and every dog we're around, <clears throat> you know, I, we get a little bit older and get a little bit smarter. And I don't, you know, I don't have the, uh, luckily, you know, I, I probably had a little bit of more of a temper in my younger days and pretty calm now. And, you know, it kinda, now I've got some, those SOK dogs, you mentioned some, a couple of British labs that are, that are younger dogs that are really laid back and kind of fit my personality probably better these days. Um, but with Hank, um, probably one of those trips in North Dakota that I told you about, I can specifically remember a hunt that, uh, 
probably 30 mile per hour wind. I think we had five guys, if not six guys that morning, we were shooting a lot of, um, we couldn't, we couldn't find a field feed to hunt. So we were shooting a pothole, you know, which is kind of usually up there is your last resort. Right. And we were also hunting with a few guys that, uh, that were, that were actually buddies of mine from Florida that haven't killed a lot of different species as far as like, you know, a canvas back or a redhead or things like that. And so a lot of these potholes have a lot of kind of your smorgasbord of, of ducks like that. And so that morning we were going to hunt this pothole and it had, you know, thousand, couple thousand ducks on it the day before. And we're just smashing ducks, right? We're about, we're, we ended up shooting a six man limit or five man, however many we had. And, but specifically there was a group of mallards that came in uh, we'd shot four or five out of the bunch, I believe. And I was on the right side of the blind and there was a crippled green head that was swimming pretty, uh, pretty fast. And so I sent Hank and my other buddy had a dog on the other end of the blind and, and, uh, he was retrieving some birds that were in the decoys. And it was kind of one of those things like we look at each other and yeah, send Hank after that one because he had a younger dog also at the time. Um, and so, the waves like we're talking about um before you know it he's out there far enough that i'm like time to call him off the bird like piss on the bird uh you know i want my dog to come back and you know you can't really imagine unless you're there but that pothole is like what are you going to do right you can't run it's not like you just run around it's not like it's a big pond and you could run around the other side where you could see your dog better this is like you know it's a mile across or you know, it's, it's a long way. And so he gets out there and I can't, he's a little black speck and I start hitting, you know, I'm hitting a whistle, trying to get him to come back. It winds howling, no way he can hear me. Um, you know, and at this point I'm like, I'm, I'm getting worried, like really, really getting worried. And it's like, surely he's going to go to the, you know, forget about the, forget about the bird and go to the bank. Right. And I, I walk back and I remember telling my buddies like, you know, I guess I need to take off around here on the other side of the bank and, and just see what I can see what I can find. It's one of those things like you start getting, you know, as a gun dog owner, you start, you're worried about your dog. You're yeah. like, you know, what, am, what do I do? What's, what's the thing that I can do? It's not like I've been in this situation before on the Arkansas river or whatever. And it's like, you jump in, the, you jump in the boat and go get the dog and the duck if you need to. Right. Like sure. no big deal. Well, this is a pothole. And so we walked in, there's no way to get to the other side. There's no boat. There's no anything. And it's like, you know, did I put my, did I put my dog in a situation where, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to lose him or something bad's going to happen. And he hasn't been in sight, um, you know, at least a few minutes now. And I'm, a, you know, basically taking off walking across the bank. And about then I hear people who I hear everybody hooping and hollering and I look and as far as you can see, I mean, we're, we're talking, 400 yards at least around the bank of the pothole here comes hank and here comes a fully looks looks fully live green head like like wings sticking up in the air like he's still trying to get away hank's got him in his mouth running back to us and you know received the bird back when he got back and he's just like shaking tired i mean just like literally pretty much gave everything he had and he and he just didn't give up but he's done that you know he's done that countless times but that's one specific time that's like you go from that feels like somebody just you know drop kicked you in the stomach 
to, you know, what am I like, you're panicking, right? Like, what do I need to do? You know, obviously I can't swim out there. Obviously I can't run around to the other side because you can't, you can't see him, you know, it's white cap and everything else. And then all of a sudden, boom, there he is. He popped out and he's got the sucker. You know, it's one thing if if he, he could have popped out been running back to me no bird obviously i'd have been i'd have been super happy i would have kicked myself for sending him after the bird and i would have been and it would have been good and and we lived lived to find another day right but when he comes back with a mallard it's like man suckers suckers got no quit at all and and that's always how he's that's always how he's been man i mean you could you know i could I, i could send him off of a you know he'd jump off a cliff for a mallard if i sent him you know like he's He's got no quit, no quit. And, and so with that being said, too, and, and I'm sure you guys can relate to this, but like a dog like that, you have to, you know, I'm lucky and, and I'm thankful that in my younger days when I didn't know as much about, you know, one, either training or two, either just gun dog safety and and what to do in situations like that in different places that you don't need to be, put, you know, doing with your dog or putting your dog in certain situations like you know, I am lucky that, that, uh, you know, I never lost him in one of those situations. Sure. Yeah. I think, I mean, you and I can maybe, uh, touch on a little bit of that safety right now. I mean, I think that's just, first of all, it's an awesome story. Um, it truly shows the heart and grit. I always call it grit, like that gravel in the gut and spit in your eye type of attitude of these dogs that we've bred, trained, raised, that that makes them special man it makes these stories incredible but like you said it's like you know we could put them in a kind of perilous situation that and i have i've got a friend in south carolina whose dog literally drowned from basically he he cramped up with hypothermia on a retrieve Mm -hmm. drowned he drug himself like he was underwater, waiters underwater. He's pulling himself through, pulls the dog from underwater up, pumps him, like gets him to vomit up water and all that stuff, and he's like pretty much lifeless. Gets him in the truck, warms the truck up, drives him to a vet. They revive the dog, and, and he survived. He was kind of weird. Apparently, he was really weird after that, you know, lost a few brain cells, but like, you know. Right. And I'm being, I'm kidding a little bit, but like the story could have gone the other way where the dog literally died. And so we, we have to be smart. You know, I always try and pump a round or two into another, into the duck. Right. Definitely. To make sure, even if it's a little bit crippled, you know, cripple it more, just put another round in it. Even if it's yep. 60 yards away, I'm shooting one more round to see if I can get one more BB in its ass to slow it down so that my dog right. has a fighting chance. And to be honest with you, as bad as this sounds and as much as a conservationist and duck lover as I am, I'm not willing to – I'm or excuse me, I am willing to lose a duck and not send my dog. Right. If I think the river current's too strong, um, like it's just a duck – it's your dog. So be smart. Before you send your dog, think about what could go wrong. You know, instead of just saying, you know, saying the name and letting it ride, and all of a sudden you're in this wild goose chase, pun intended, and the dog's three quarters of a mile across a, a, a lake with white caps. You know, you just got to be smart 
and again it's what makes these dogs great and special but we've got to be careful uh actually this year we had a run-in with my dad's dog boss and boss was on a crippled goose in the middle of onondaga lake and he's fighting for it you know he's really gunning and this goose was not as dead as we thought and it was you know how they do like that alligator swim with their heads yeah. down and they're yeah. hauling yeah. ass Yep. You know, and he's right on its trail. You know, he's he's like 10 yards behind it the whole time. But all of a sudden, that 10 yards and, and 100 yards is now a speck of a goose and a speck of a dog. And yep. we were like, enough's enough. Undo the boat. We got to go get him. And we did. And, uh, you know, just be smart, everybody. Like, it's just a duck. It's just a goose. We want to recover all the game we shoot. But don't do it at the cost of you and your buddies in a boat during white caps. Don't do it at the cost of your dog. Be smart. I mean, every year we hear stories of somebody's boat capsizing or, uh, or really, or a dog not making it. So, um, well, so, all right. Tell me about your other two dogs. You got two young ones. Sorry, that that got a little somber for a second. My bad. <laughs> Holy crap, that took it. <laughs> let's no. let's pump it back up. All right, everybody. Hey, hey, hop, up, 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 up. Hey. All right, get 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 a little more lighthearted. My bad, there, Jake. Tell me about your new dogs. Oh, no they're they're young. They've got a a bright future. Tell us about them. What are, boy, girl, color? You know what's yeah, going on got, with them? So I've got uh, I've got two dogs. Um, from southern oak kennels one is a female uh she's fox red actually out of barton's dog red um she is i think she's probably 14 months just turned around 14 months right now so a little over a year old um we ran some hunt tests got her got her started title uh, a month or two ago and um she's she's never you know obviously didn't hunt with me last year but um i think you know she should be able to hunt quite a bit this year and she's coming along and training pretty good and she's just kind of a little fireball and a little miss independent uh which you know makes makes training frustrated you know uh frustrating quite a bit but um she's i think she's going to be something special and um my other dog is um his name is Hawk, and he is a black lab out of um, out of Barton's dog Kane, the Eastdale Kane, his his older stud. And actually, um, Alex, are you guys familiar with Alex Britton um, from Bracken Creek SOK Outpost? Um, Alex yeah. has a yeah. So Alex has a um, a finished level uh, bitch named Ripple. Um, that is out of, uh, Apache Joe and I'm not sure who else. And so Kane and Ripple, uh, are, are the damn sire of, of my dog Hawk. And he is a couple months, uh, I think right in a month, month and a half younger than, than my red dog Rue. And he's coming a lot, uh, right along in training. Also, he's, he's kind of the opposite of her. Like he's, he's my little buddy depending on, dependent on me. Um, he's not the fastest dog ever, but he's got plenty of drive, but he is just, he's kind of one of those dogs like lives to please. Like he, he's a fast learner, usually does whatever I ask him the first time or two. Um, you know, kind of, kind of, I've got two kind of opposite ends of the spectrum when it, when it comes to, 
Southern Oak dogs or, or probably even British dogs at, at that, um, you know, with that being said. so That's really cool. So neither of them hunted. This is going to be their inaugural first season, huh? Yeah, so Hawk actually hunted uh, a few times last year. Obviously, he was pretty young. Um, but we had some warmer weather there close to the end of season. And, and he was kind of, like I said, he's, he's been kind of my buddy and, and honestly a lot easier to train than Rue. Um, and so, you know, it was one of those things like I knew he was ready, but as long as I could put him in a kind of, uh, you know, put him in the right situation, some a situation that I would control, whether either, you know, I took him a couple of hunts by myself, um, by myself and a couple of hunts with just one other guy. And, you know, on those hunts, I didn't, you know, I didn't even shoot. I was just kind of there for Hawk, right? Like watch, watching him, watching his reactions, um, things like that. And so he, he actually did really well, um, hunted some flooded timber and then we hunted the lake here at home and he probably retrieved, uh, I've got it all written down, but he probably retrieved probably 35 birds last year. Um, so he's, he had got a little bit of experience under his belt and a few easy, uh, situations. Um, but man, he's, he's really the one I'm going to be, I'm going to be leaning on pretty hard this season. Um, Good we got some, you. you know, some pretty big plans this year as far as, you know, where I told you we were traveling and things like that. He'll kind of be the, he'll kind of be the right hand man on, on a lot of those trips. And I, and I think he's just, you know, I really think he's just going to crush it this year. Good for you. So with your experience traveling and filming and taking, you know, taking pics of, you know, dogs and gun dogs hunting and all that jazz, what are some do's and don'ts for people? What are some things you've seen that are the wrong thing, the right thing, the best way? What are some tips you can give people for their dog's first season? Oof. Um for the first season, kind of like what I was, what I was just referencing, like for me, um, you know, and I, and I think a lot of, you know, and I, obviously I've learned this from, from different pro trainers and, uh, you know, mentor type people that I look up to, whether it's Chris or, um, you know, just different people. And so, you know, for first season, you know, you want to make it all about the dog. You want, you want that dog to have a good experience, um, for first and foremost. So, you know, first, first few times you take that dog, you're not, you're not taking that dog with six guys on these, you know, these big banger hunts that, you know, uh, the dogs, you know, the dog's been introduced to gunfire, but being in a blind with six or seven guys, you know, unloading every, every chance they get, it's not, not a good situation to throw the dog in. Um, I think the the more experience you can get your dog around, the better. Um, but also with that being said, you know, in training leading up to that season, you know, we're training off of stands in the timber. If that's where we're going to be hunting, we're training out of, uh, out of, out of field blinds. If that's, you know, if you hunt fields, we're training out of pit blinds. If you hunt, if you hunt pits and so kind of training, uh, you know, kind of practicing how you're going to play. Right. Um, and so I think there's a lot of that that goes into the training aspect leading up to that, but also just, just putting them in the right situations. You know, I, I don't want to take that dog hunting for the first time if we're, you know, uh, if it's 35, 35 degrees outside, you know, and, and, and their first experience hunting, it's going to be really cold and, and all that stuff. So you want to take them, kind of want to take them as, uh, in just a situation that they're going to have fun in. Like, you know, I'll, I don't want to take them, 
for the first time where they're going to sit there for four hours and only get to retrieve one bird either. Um, so that's something to think about vice versa. You don't want to, you don't want to be bored, bored to death, but you don't want to put them in uh, a situation where it's not completely set up for them to succeed. Um, and I've seen, you know, a lot of guys obviously hunt dogs way too early or put them in situations where, Hey, it's about us and it's about killing ducks. And so they'll bring a pup, you know, a seven month old pup hunting with four or five guys, uh, that are blasting away and, you know, uh, it can turn, it can turn bad for that pup and turn into a bad experience pretty early, pretty quickly, yeah. I should say. No, I agree with you. I actually had the discussion today and it was, well, that's not how my old dog was. Right. And it's like, you know, I'm very politically correct. I, I don't like ruffling too many feathers. I like, I like everybody to like me. And so <laughs> what I wanted to tell him was. Well, you're old, you, you know, you got lucky once, congrats. You might right. not get lucky again. Not every dog's the same. Not every dog's going to progress the same. Not every dog's going to do X, Y, and Z on the timeline. And yep. there is a model. There are many books written on doing it the right way. Taking a five, six, seven-month-old puppy to the Civil War pit blind is not where you should... You know what is it? Bless them by fire, or uh, right. you know what I'm saying? Like right. baptism, by baptism fire. by fire. Thank you. Right. So yep. you know yep. you you want to set them up for success, and then gradually increase the difficulty, increase the distractions, increase the challenges, and then they'll be successful. I'm glad your first dog kicked ass, but I also wasn't there to see it fail. And you aren't telling right. me it's like everybody wins at the casino, right? Right, well, right. well, what about the times you lost? You don't talk about those. So, right. you know, you want to build, you want to train, like you said, you want to train like you hunt. You want to build life experience as they develop. And then those hunts, the first season is for the dog. Right. It's not about you. It's not about how many birds you kill. It's for the dog. Um, one thing Kevin is pointing to, um, he wants to talk a little bit about like your style of hunting. What do you love to hunt the most? Um, you know, for me growing up in Arkansas, um, you know, and still to this day, some of the most fun hunts I've had. Um, and you know, one of those type things, like if I could lo load up with you guys tomorrow and take you to, you know, take you to a place or take you to a hole and we were going to have a, a hell of a duck hunt you know, where would that be? Right? Uh, right. For me, it would be, for me, it would be uh flooded timber in Arkansas. Um, you know, and we, we don't need 10 guys, but two or, two or three guys and, and one dog and a, and a couple of dozen decoys. Um, I'd rather hunt the timber than anywhere. Um, with, the, with that being said, like, like I talked about some of the, some of the most, uh, I guess, most fun hunts numbers wise, um, where you've got a lot, of, you've got a lot of guns and a lot and a lot of birds, um, have been those hunts in the central flyway and, and usually hunting out of a frames or layout blinds. Um, yeah, those for, are a lot of fun. It's unbelievable. Yeah. For being a, for being a camera guy or trying to shoot photos, whatever it may be, a, a for hunting out of a frames or 
a heck of a lot easier than layout blinds. And I think that you end up shooting a lot of more birds out of an A-frame just because it's easier for everybody to shoot, you know, shoulder their gun and get off a clean shot instead of having to pop up out of a, out of layout blinds and all that. So, you know, a, a, a cut cornfield or, or whatever in, you know, central Kansas or central Oklahoma with a, you know, with a four or five buddies and an A-frame is, is pretty daggum fun too. But it's just, there's, there's nothing like the timber. There's nothing like seeing the, seeing the birds work down through the timber, uh, you know, leaning up against a tree, hugging the shadows, um, having your dog on a, on a tree stand. Um, man, oh it's just, God, that's pain for, for me, right that'll, yeah for me that'll that'll always be it i think no matter what like there's a lot of other hunts i want to go on a lot of places i want to travel but now so so what are some of those places you want to travel man i think uh you know starting with starting with some stuff on the east coast like i'm gonna get to experience this year um that's been a big one for me for the past few years um would like to go hunt some places like uh, like South Texas. I know they've been shooting a lot of birds the last few years. Um, that's, that's another place that seems to be getting hot uh, that I never really thought about until the last year or two. But it'd be fun to go down there. Um, we we hit on a little bit earlier, but Montana uh, is definitely on the list. Yep. Um, you know that, and then kind of anywhere in the out in the Pacific Flyway. I've, I've never been over there and heard some you know, uh, like the great salt Lake area, uh, or on the, you know, or on the West coast, like any, anywhere out there would be, I think that'd be a really cool trip. And then obviously, you know, you, you start getting into these real bucket list hunts, like, you know, love to go to Alaska and, um, you know, and other places, but as far as realistic, where would I hope to go in the next few years? I'm just talking about, just talking about in the States. Uh, you know, those are some, some on my list for sure. So I'm actually planning on going to Texas for a teal hunt in September. I've never oh, yeah. been before, and I'm mm-hmm. fired up. Oh yeah, they smack them down there. I mean, that's I've got some buddies in the area. Yeah, man, it's just they get they get a ton of blue wings down there. Now, have you um? Are there any like good taxidermies that you got going from all the different travels that you've done? Uh, any any good taxidermies? Uh, I mean, I've got, you know, I've got, uh, I'm sitting here looking around my office here. I've got, uh, I've got about six mallards on the wall. I've got a canvas back. I've got a widget and I've got a pintail. Um, I think that's about it. That's one of those things too. Like, honestly, I haven't gotten much done in the last, in the last couple of years. These are all like, um, from kind of my mid mid twenties, I got a little spurt where I wanted to, you know, wanted to get a bunch of stuff mounted. What I would like to do, and was just talking about this with some guys, um, you know, if I'm able to start traveling these next couple of years and, and shoot some stuff that I've never shot before, um, you know, would love to, you know, would love to get a few, few different mounts that, um, maybe, uh, not necessarily a once in a lifetime type thing, but you know what I mean? It's a, you're only going every, you know, if I go out and hunt the Chesapeake, you know, it'd be cool to go every year, but realistically probably won't. Um, but it's every four five, six year type thing. So it'd be, it'd be cool to be cool to have some of those mounts, you know, sit in the office to look at on, you know, in those long summer months when you're <laughs> need something to look at. So absolutely. Absolutely. I actually got a phone call from my taxidermist today. He uh, he's been a little backed up. He's my man, Rodney. He's a good, good friend of mine. And he, I, sh- I shot a mallard, man, three years ago. It's probably three years ago. He, he's had this mallard duck for a long time. 
And uh, he's like, I'm finally getting to it, and I got this idea. He's going to do my logo, which is, you know, lone duck, and it's a mallard duck cupped up. And he's going to do it like a wood background where they cut it out with wood and then backlight it, and the mallard duck is going to be in the same shape as the logo. And I'm like, boy, oh, nice. boy Rodney, it took you three years, but I'm glad you waited. <laughs> yeah. That sounds phenomenal. Yeah. So, And then Kevin and I each have Old Squaw that should be done soon from Long Island. That's a hunt you should go on, man. Yeah, Ooh, that'd be cool. Dude, sink, like a sink box Old Squaw hunt. Yeah. Let me, so yeah, I don't think we cool. I don't think we've we never talked about it on the podcast, so allow us the pleasure. So yeah. me, Kevin, and two of our buddies, they're clients of mine, they're great friends of mine, and they're all our age. So it's just like a guy's weekend. We go to Long Island and the these two salty, salty brothers who are probably in their sixties vulgar as can be like i would never ever take my dad with me you know like i wouldn't want him to hear the things that come out of their mouth but they were fun and we laughed our butts off and we we shot old squaw like it was going out of style but they have a tender boat and so the tender boat is like 100 yards away and the sink boat it like the layout boat sink boat is is out there amongst all the decoys. And and it's one guy in the boat with a walkie-talkie and all of us meatheads on the tender boat watching you miss. So every time you miss, it's like, oh, you missed another one, Kevin. Boom, oh, here comes another one, Kevin. Here comes another Oh, it's gone. How many shots is that? And I mean, it's absolutely... The f- the most fun was making fun of the guys missing, not even out right. there hunting. It was, it was a it was a spectacle. So yeah, I would highly I would highly suggest you know taking a group of buddies and trying that. Um, we did the Chesapeake Bay with the pit boss. Or excuse me, yeah, we were wrong. We were on ocean. We were on the ocean in Ocean City, Maryland. Um which is near the Chesapeake Bay, but Kevin and I were so naive, we kept saying we were in the Chesapeake Bay, and Pit Boss was like, uh, sorry to take your bucket list hunt of hunting the Chesapeake Bay because you're not there. Um, so we had to go back, and that's when we visited <laughs> Matt Peel, but we shot the the trifecta, the triple crown, the white wing, the surf scoter, and the black scoter. So those oh, are yeah. things, man, like, you know, hopefully with you going and seeing Matt this year, you'll get to get to try those things. It's unbelievable. It's different. You know, like you're you're from Arkansas. You're used to flooded timber and rice fields and some really like people from all over the country travel to do what you are used to. Going to those places is is a different world. It's so cool. Yeah. Cool. And that sounds sounds fun. Like I said, I'm excited just to get to that area and spend some time over there and any, you know, shooting anything like that would be a, be a awesome bonus, but, but yeah, looking, looking forward to it either way. No doubt. Wall hangers. All right, bud. Listen, endless migration, give a little bit of a spiel again, just to refresh everybody's memory about what they can find on Instagram and Facebook and YouTube and podcast. Um, and then your personal stuff too. So they can follow you personally on Instagram. Yeah, so 
endless migration, um, like I said earlier, is a waterfowl platform that's fairly new. We launched uh, back in February. That's basically the main pillars of the platform are short films, which we have four. We'll have four coming out uh, later this year. There's a trailer uh, on Facebook that you can see on the Facebook page, Endless Migration. Um, the trailer for the season is out. Um, we've got, uh, besides the short films, um, a podcast, an Endless Migration podcast, um, a website, EndlessMigrationHunt.com, that has, uh, it's starting to get populated with some pretty good articles right now. Um, but going into the next few months is, is really going to start, um, you know, we'll have a, a bulk of content coming out weekly, um, whether that's state-by-state hunting articles, uh, how-tos, uh, dog training tips, just all kinds of stuff, you know, and, and we need to get with you guys on some of that stuff too um, and, and see where we can, uh, you know, where we can provide some value. But, um, you know, and then the social media pages, uh, as far as on Instagram, it's just endless migration. I think it's endless underscore migration, um, you know, and just uh, trying to put out, trying to put out good content and be a, you know, be approachable and have things, have content and information that is for everyone from a novice hunter that's looking for, you know, what decoys do I buy or how do I call ducks or how do I set my spread? Just, you know, uh, things like that, uh, having content that, uh, you know, a lot, a lot veteran age guys like, like us will still relate to and, and, uh, be able to find value and, and entertainment in. Um, and so, um, also my personal pages, um, you see a lot of waterfowl and dog content, things like that. Uh, Jake Terry photo, uh, on Instagram, um, just Jake Terry on Facebook, but, um, yeah, man, I, I've enjoyed it and I appreciate, appreciate you guys, um, you know, and what you guys are doing. And, and I, I hope, I hope that we can, uh, we need to schedule a time and, and, uh, kind of can continue deep, deep dive in some of these things that, that we haven't got to talk about and, and, uh, talk about that on the endless migration podcast coming up. Absolutely. I want to give you one more plug just so anybody who doesn't spell it's Jake J A K E. Terry is T E R R Y Jake Terry photography. I mean it exceptional photography, really fun, beautiful content to, you know, scroll through. So give him a follow endless migration. I hope you can spell that. Cause I can't off the top of my head. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding, but you know, it, I wouldn't point you in the wrong direction. He's a, a super nice guy. I'm sure he'd, if you had questions about cameras that you're interested in or how to get into the industry or just want to be a part of this even deeper, give him a follow. Um, Jake, man, it was a pleasure meeting you in person. It's been fun having you here on our podcast. We definitely got to do it again as we get closer to duck season to to hear all the cool things that are, are coming up or even during duck season to give a recap. Like, this is not the first time and a last time you'll be on our show. So thanks, man. Really happy you were with us. Yeah, man. I, I appreciate you guys having me and, uh, you know, went by fast. Like I said, I'm, I'm sure we could, sure we could, uh, talk a couple more hours if we needed to, but, oh, good um, Lord, easy. you know, I'm, I'm, 
definitely, definitely down to do it anytime. Like I said, there's always, always want to make time for things like that as, you know, whether we're traveling or updates during season or, or whatever. So looking forward to it. Absolutely. I appreciate it, man. Thank you so much. Again, Jake Terry, Endless Migration. Give him a follow. As always, thank you guys for listening and stay tuned for the next episode, episode, episode. Hey, if you haven't done it already, jump into patreon.com forward slash Lone Duck Outers. If you enjoy the show and want to want to support the show, if this show has helped you and your dog grow together, if you enjoy our Instagram, if we've helped you at all, it's like buying me and Kevin a beer and you get more one-on-one from me. You get content that doesn't hit Instagram or YouTube and it enters you to win a free hunt with me and Kevin in Missouri this dog season. So jump on links in the description. We'd be happy to have you and love to help you. Hey listeners, Nick Larson here, host of the bird shop podcast. As fans of this show, you may be interested in the conversations on the bird shop podcast, where we discuss all things upland hunting from upland birds and their habitat and conservation to the shotguns, bird dogs, and gear used to pursue them. Whether you're a seasoned upland hunter or just getting started and wanting to learn more, I interview a wide range of guests, each with their own unique perspective and valuable experience to share. If you're on the hunt for more upland hunting conversation, please consider subscribing to the bird shop podcast today. Thank you.